right, Eagles fans, it's been a minute. We had a, a couple weird cancellations and with the holiday and everything, so we didn't have an Eagles enemies last week going into that Washington football team game that uh, just proved time and time again that that stadium needs to be burned to the ground. Uh, it's Eagles enemies, presented by Underground Sports Philadelphia. I'm your host, Kyle Bennett, and joining me for the first time for week 18 in the NFL, first season of 18 weeks we've had ever for NFL football. Of course, it's got to be capped off with Eagles Cowboys and I've got my good buddy Mark Lane with me to break down this NFC East rivalry where if you guys are fans of this show Mark has said time and time again it doesn't matter the situation the circumstances how good or bad either of these teams are they're going to put Eagles Cowboys in primetime because it's going to draw numbers Hey Kyle good to be on with you yeah I I want to go back uh to last week if we can, and you said that FedEx Field needs to be burned to the ground, I don't even know that that would happen because <laughs> RFK Stadium is still around, and they're still selling advertisements on it. <laughs> I know, so so I I don't think that anything uh, in in DC can get burned to the ground uh, <laughs> as far as sports are concerned. I mean, I guess the fran the only thing that's a problem is. Uh, you know the gates leading to the uh, to the field side. Uh, that that you know that's a problem. But everything else with the stadium, oh, keep it. Did you see that video? By the way, I don't mean to get off on a jag, but did you see that other angle oh, from yeah. the top? Though uh, they could have got injured, mm-hmm. like broken arms and missed work and or a concussion or good grief. And apparently one of the fans uh, later on reported that they were in the hospital for injuries and contusions and stuff like that. So Dan Snyder's not getting off scot-free, hopefully. Yeah, it was a legitimate fall. It wasn't just like, you know, they like something on America's Funniest Home Videos. I mean, that on, on a scale of America's Funniest Home Videos to live leak, you know, it was more on the live league mm-hmm. side, but good grief, yeah. But you know, uh, that's kind of the uh, um, and Washington fans are finding it out. That's what a Ron Rivera team looks like, folks. You get a little optimism, you get a four-game losing streak, you get a little optimism again, and you get another four-game losing streak. Wondering who the heck's going to start at quarterback and what quarterback looks like in the. F- I'm sorry, I'm going off on. Washington. Um, yeah, the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles, they, uh, what draws people to this rivalry is the hate. Mm-hmm. And I think that the Eagles fans supply and have supplied going back to the seventies, a sufficient amount of hate to make the rivalry industry interesting. And also the tough, um, no holds barred attitude that the Eagles have played with going back to, uh, in, in as far as the rivalry goes, um, I think going back to Conrad Dobler, uh, no, he was a teammate with, I forget, but anyway, in the seventies, you know, you had that, then it was continued with, um, buddy Ryan and in just that the whole attitude of wanting to stick it to Dallas and then really I would I know Andy Reid had success but really I would say it was when Ray Rhodes took over in 95 and you had that fourth and one 
in week 15 of tw- of 1995 where they stuffed him at twice i think that really was kind of the just the, the seminal moment that the eagles weren't going to lay down to dallas anymore the rich Tide era was done and it was just a whole new rivalry and it really has been that way because in 96 you had um i think troy aikman throwing a pick six uh to spoil a sweep and that was at uh, texas stadium too where it happened uh then you have uh, october 10th 1999 Irvin breaks his neck at veterans stadium you have the pickle juice game in week one of 2000 and and again it was when they put the Cowboys and Eagles in, on Monday Night Football on November the 15th, 2004, and you had T.O. going against Bill Parcells. That's how it was, you know, billed uh, going into the game. But that really just set the tone and that, you know, television picked up on uh, just the hate because now you got Cowboys fans who grew up let's say they were born in 95, 96. It's not Washington. It's not what NFL films tells you. It's Philadelphia. And that's who Cowboys fans hate nowadays is Philadelphia because they have had the most success against Dallas in their lifetimes, you know, talking like millennial Cowboys and the TV networks have picked up on that. And that's why they flexed Cowboys and Eagles, frankly, for, a meaningless game into <laughs> prime time on Saturday night on ESPN. By the way, this is the first time since 2001, I'm sorry, 2002 that the Cowboys will play multiple games on ESPN. And uh, the last time that, they had, like I said, that was in 2002. So you kick off week one, against the Houston Texans they get beat 19 to 10 but the second game Kyle was against Philadelphia in a meaningless week 16 game so to speak with AJ Feely at quarterback <laughs> the legend of AJ yeah. Feely <laughs> yep and that was uh, I think also a Saturday night game too on ESPN uh, on their Sunday night football package that they used to have with uh, Mike Patrick and Joe Theismann and uh, Paul and yeah Paul McGuire. Uh, so so yeah. Um, well, I, of course, much like that matchup, um, we had backup quarterbacks. Uh, although Dallas and you know Chad Hutchinson, that wasn't the backup. That was the future for now. Um, but still, it's in terms of you know who's going to be the AJ Feely, is Gardner Minshew going to play more than Jalen Hurts? It'll be an interesting matchup to watch because it is such a meaningless game. But by the same token, you just don't want to go into this matchup getting out of the fundamentals of great preparation. You don't want to just go through the week going through the motions and everything because then you let bad habits set in and then you can't snap out of them for the wild card game. So to me, uh, the results on the field may reflect attitude through the week, 
but it's attitude and attention to detail throughout the week for both sides that have to be sharp and on point and not get out of that rhythm as they get ready for the wild card, even though we got to get this meaningless game out of the way. Sometimes we all just need to wind down after a long day of enjoying our favorite sports teams go to work. And with the rise of streaming platforms, new TV shows and movies are popping up every single week. And it might be overwhelming not knowing exactly what to watch. Well, that's where streamer season comes in. The exclusive streaming platform discussion podcast for TV and movies on the Underground Sports Philadelphia podcast network. Join me, KB, and a plethora of our hosts right here at USP breaking down all the new TV and movies that you guys should be watching across all the various streaming platforms that are available to the masses. Catch us on streamer season wherever you get your podcasts. Which is why at first I was surprised when Mike McCarthy came out and said uh, this week that, you know, they're prepping to win this game. They're prepping for the starters to go. And it might be one of the smarter things I've heard Mike McCarthy say in some time in a sense of, like you just said, kind of you don't want to go through the motions. You want to keep, you know, everything rolling the way you've had it going into the playoffs. And obviously it's unfortunate we won't have really too much of an opportunity for Eagles Cowboys to go down in the wild card matchup. But uh, I feel like, you know, this is also an opportunity where if you see some things on the field with these two teams and say the Eagles win uh, their matchup in the wild card round, the Cowboys win, and somehow, some way things link up, you could see this team again down the line in a couple weeks. Yeah, and um, that, and if they did, uh, that'd be the first time since 09 they met in the postseason. Um, and it's that that and it would just you'd have a whole lot more familiarity uh between the two sides than you did i mean even it feels like going into this matchup there's a whole lot of familiarity even though hertz is really this is his third game in the series to start um but you you just you can't get out of the fundamentals and McCarthy talks about he keeps referencing only the only two particular seasons, Kyle. He doesn't reference any of the others when he was with Green Bay. For example, he talks about how, well, in 09, I played all the starters uh, against the Arizona Cardinals in week 17. And then we turned around and played the Cardinals in the wild card round and we lost in overtime. And then in 2011, I sat all the starters in week 17, and that was the year they went 15-1. and They only lost to the Chiefs with an interim coach, Romeo Cornell, if you can imagine. Uh, and then we, you know, I sat everybody to go 15-1, and and then we lost uh, the opening round, the divisional round, against the New York Giants. So I've done it both ways and have got burned both times. That may be true, but he's not mentioning, for example, what happened in 2010 where, yeah, they needed to win week 17 against the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field in order to have the tiebreaker over 
the Giants, who beat Washington same day. Uh, otherwise, Washington. I mean, New York would have been the wild card, number six seed, and and uh, Green Bay wouldn't. But he needed to play everybody that game. Uh, well, you say, well, that was then. You know, who cares? Um, but in 2015, they were riding a two-game losing streak, and they go into the playoffs and they go on the road to Washington and they beat them 35-18. And but they had lost uh week 17 which was a division a I believe that the division title was on the line uh when they played the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday night football in uh game 256. So then you had 2000 and so yeah you had 10 and you had 15 so those are examples where he didn't have the momentum going into the playoffs he still won a playoff game and he also captured the momentum um out of necessity of having to play and then they win all four postseason games including super bowl 45 so i think it's more about how these teams are going to carry themselves throughout the week. And for McCarthy, he mentioned on Monday that he's in favor of playing the starters and everything because this is their first time in the postseason together. And he wants to have that uh, familiarity and everything. And then uh, they'll have that, that precedent going forward. So, I, I I I think it comes down to the preparation throughout the week, the attitude, the approach, the attention to detail, and then if that manifests on the field in a twenty-seven to three game, because you don't want to get people hurt, uh, so be it. But as long as their preparation throughout the week is not um, substandard, then we'll see. But uh, I, you know, I think the Eagles, obviously, they have a very interesting approach. By the way, Nick Sirianni, first Eagles coach, uh, rookie coach since Chip Kelly to make the playoffs. And uh, so uh, he's got that going for him. Yeah, I know. Um, I saw a bunch of people say, you know, Mike Tomlin, uh, you know, has never finished under 500 uh, in his 15 years in Pittsburgh or however long it's been. And a bunch of Eagles fans commenting, yeah, Nick Sirianni's never finished under 500 either in his coaching career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but, but he's really done a good job of, um, of carrying, frankly, uh, carrying on what Doug Peterson built. So you don't feel like that you have uh, any drop off, which is what I thought was going to happen with the Eagles in going with a rookie coach, but, Oh, thank you. So I was, my brother walked in. So <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, but, like you said too, with the, with the rookie coach, it's not even just Sirianni, like everybody on this coaching staff outside of Jeff Stoutland are brand new in the position they're in. So it was a lot of uncertainty going into this season. Yeah, for the Eagles. I, I actually made an article on touchdown wire, uh, about a month ago about, uh, a basically a coaching candidate from every team. And when I got to the Eagles, I'm like, I, I don't know who to, I don't know who to pick. 
you know, because they're all so young. You know, you'd really be going in a, you know, almost like a Ted Lasso direction by <laughs> taking one of these guys. And that's what everybody called Sirianni, like, for the most part of this season was like, is he the Ted Lasso of, of the NFL? Like, bringing him in to kind of just, you know, test the waters and see what happens, and then if somebody else comes along, you, you bring them in to, you know, take over with everything that was built upon this year. But I think the growth from Sirianni this year from where we were, you know, from the last time you and I talked before that Cowboys game on Monday Night Football to where he is now, I think of all the coaches that are new in their position, he's had easily the most growth and the most kind of, you know, navigating the waters of the NFL coaching landscape. And he's done a really good job to kind of just, you know, play to his player strengths, play to what's worked. And I think for the most part, he's definitely earned himself at least another year where a lot of people, you know, early on before, uh, you know, after that Raiders game the Eagles had, it was like, you know, is he going to survive this season? Yeah, it, because he was a new coach. He was a rookie coach. He just didn't really, I mean, because it felt like firing Doug Peterson was a mistake. So, you know, that's that's what he had going against him. But he's really done a good job to persevere because they, they could have really tanked. I mean, they were two and five. And they lost to the, and the Raiders were in such a disarray then themselves, you know, and he, he turned it around and now uh, when they get past Dallas, you'll really get to see the type of influence that Sirianni has on, on the club. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's definitely earned another year, but you got to consider where he came from in Indianapolis. I mean, his coach was Frank Reich, uh, who's had success and has really built a good culture in Indianapolis uh, after everything just kind of crumbled with Chuck Pagano. Um, so he, he seems to have it figured out for now. Yeah, I agree. And I think another thing from this season with the Eagles and Cowboys that has come up a little bit, but now as the Eagles have really gone on this streak of, you know, beating up on inferior opponents as they should have, uh, there was, there was a little discourse, I'd say more so online of, you know, the debate, should the Eagles have taken Micah Parsons over Devonte Smith? And me personally, I think that argument is hilarious just from a sense that, sure, Eagles fans have had the debate, you know, could have had DK Metcalf over JJ Ortega Whiteside. You could have had Justin Jefferson over Jalen Rager. And those debates are, are totally fine and plausible because the other two players the Eagles didn't take are far better than the two they did. But from a standpoint of Micah Parsons and Devontae Smith, both of those guys have had very good rookie seasons. Devontae Smith is 37 receiving yards away from breaking Deshaun Jackson's uh, franchise record for most receiving yards in a season by a rookie. Micah Parsons is on his way to being defensive rookie of the year. I just don't understand the the hindsight, you know, should we have done this argument when both guys have been completely successful in the scenarios that they're in? Because who's to say Micah Parsons comes to the Eagles and he's doing what he's doing right now with the Cowboys and then vice versa, you know, just for the sake of this argument, Devontae Smith goes to the Cowboys he's probably like the third or fourth receiver on that depth chart behind all the guys that they have there already. We all know the traditional big four sports and we have our favorite teams and enjoy them each and every week during their seasons. But what if I told you 
the fastest growing sport on two feet, doesn't involve football, baseball, basketball, or hockey. Come join me, Dom Ponteri, and Harrison Cremens as we break down the sport of the future each and every week on the Outside the Box podcast, talking all things pro and college lacrosse right here on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Yeah, all, I can tell you with Parsons, the Cowboys are even surprised he turned out this great. Um, one of the concerns they had about taking Parsons was uh, his ability to rush from the inside. Uh, they knew that you know he could probably rush from the outside and that they were at least going to get another linebacker to play alongside Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch, but his ability to rush from the inside has been the game changer. And that's what Everson Walls, who uh, played with, uh, with, with Lawrence Taylor on the 1990 New York Giants. So, I mean, he knows what he's talking about. He's also a cowboy, so he's in the division going back to 81, which was when Taylor was – drafted out of North Carolina, but in other words, he's an eyewitness to history. And he says that that's what, that that's what separates Parsons from Lawrence Taylor. Just to use a comparison is he can rush from the inside. Now they, how, you know, he can rush from the inside is because Dan Quinn has experimented with that. Because Dan Quinn has has found ways to generate pressure and to tinker with packages and sub packages and everything, so you have a more open-minded defensive coordinator as opposed to say, you know, Michael Parsons is taken and Mike Nolan is the defensive coordinator. I don't know that you would have seen this type of. Uh, effort i mean i mean production from michael parsons so some of it is coaching also take a look at the cowboys if they would have taken Devonte smith let's say how would it have, look at how great their trio of receivers is doing right now what a threat they are to all three have a thousand yards receiving i mean cd lamb said it best yesterday when he said that you can shut down any receiving combo in the league, just, you know, basically run bell coverage, cover four, problem solved. And, and uh, so it, it's really the coaching and the schemes. And this is just, you know, they've put an emphasis on Devontae Smith being the guy. And he's excelled at that. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, going into this game, uh, somebody that might have seen a little bit more burn due to what we assume a lot of the starters uh, for both teams not really going to be active in this one is Michael Gallup. He's obviously out for the season with that ACL injury as he gets set to go into free agency as well. So a tough blow for him. But how much do you think this Cowboys offense is going to miss what Michael Gallup brings to the table 
Um, and then how are they going to, you know, look to, you know, just replace his production with the guys that are on this roster? I don't think they'll miss him. I know it's a crazy thing to say, but he was missing. <clears throat> think back to when all of the, uh, you know, crowning of the Cowboys was going on. It was going on between weeks one through eight. Okay. Uh, and Michael Gallup was missing during that six-game winning streak. He was recovering from his strained calf, sustained in the loss to the Buccaneers in the season opener. So who you had stepping up, though, was Cedric Wilson, who's still, on, who's still available. So you have someone that's able to step up in Cedric Wilson who has – 40 catches for 483 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, so he's able to fill in for Gallup. Here's an element to the Cowboys offense that's been missing since week eight that I don't think people talk about, but could be a big factor in them going forward is Blake Jarwin is coming back from injured reserve he was put on injured reserve after the win over the minnesota vikings 20 to 16. now taking jarwin out of the action has affected how they've been able to run 12 personnel because they've had sean mckeon they've had jeremy sprinkle they've you know used a little bit of but that's been more of a jumbo actually when they've used um terrence steel but nevertheless Blake Jarwin was, was a part of those 12 personnel packages during that six game winning streak to start the season. So I don't think they'll miss Michael Gallup because they've still got CD lamb, Amari Cooper, Cedric Wilson, who's been able to step up. I think that they may get a little bit of their mojo back with Blake Jarwin coming back and, and they can deploy a more effective 12 personnel which should help get the run game going. And honestly, I mean, you know, Prescott's kind of like a, a a Ben Roethlisberger type. You get the run game and the defense going, he looks like the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. But it, it seems like when it's all on him, you know, the, the results just, uh, they're kind of 50-50. Yeah, I agree, and I think, you know, with this Cowboys run game, it's been kind of a, a different scenario than years past, where Zeke's kind of had an up-and-down year this year, but still a pretty quality, productive, you know, running back for the Cowboys, but it's been a lot of stepping up and kind of stepping into the spotlight for Tony Pollard. How do you kind of view this two-man running back uh, backfield for the Cowboys and how the the coaching staff is kind of planning to use both of them going into this game and then into the playoffs. Yeah, they'll probably uh, use Pollard a little more, and then you'll get to see one of your Super Bowl favorites and Corey Clement <laughs> um, as he plays a little bit third running back. But they've used them effectively to where Elliott has not had to have a whole bunch of carries. They've been able to split them up. 
and they've used him effectively inside the red zone. Uh, that's where all 10 of his rushing touchdowns have come is inside the red zone. Uh, so they, they've just used him smartly and he's still effective. I think the number one thing that he's done is ball security. He's only had one fumble the whole season. If he would have put the ball on the carpet the way he did in 2020, there would be so much ruage. There would be so, I mean, you know, Twitter might be down for a day with how explosive Cowboys fans would be on the social media platform, but he's been protect. He's been careful with the football. He's scored. He gets 4.2 yards per carry, which is the fourth most amongst running backs with at least 200 carries. He's still effective. And I think that if they can stay committed to the run, Kellen Moore has just been chased out of the run a little bit. Um, really, uh, since the Denver game, really since the blueprint came out, if you will. And if they can just commit to the run game and and give Elliott his chances and, and Pollard, then I think that they'll get back to normal. But Pollard, Pollard's had a really good year to where you would, you kind of hope, you kind of hope, you know, you hope he has this kind of production for his sake in his the last year of his contract so he can go somewhere and get paid. Um, but he's he's been key because he's given Dallas just, frankly, that explosion that's been missing from Elliott's game since at least 2018. Yeah, and I mean, the way that things have kind of shaken out for the Cowboys this year – do you kind of view that like this iteration of this team with both coordinators kind of in the, you know, the talks in the mix of potentially being hired as coaches elsewhere, some of these guys getting set for free agency? Do you think this is like one of the last like quote unquote hurrahs for this iteration of the Cowboys? Again, the whole podcast hosted by Steve McAvoy and John Mavalia. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Get In The Whole Pod and be on the lookout for a ton of great content keeping you up to date on the world of golf. Releasing weekly a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family of podcasts wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Uh, no. Um, how do I put this? It's not a the last hurrah, so to speak. It's more like, here's your chance. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Here's your, here, here you got 27 players set for free agency. Here you have another year put on Dak Prescott where now he's getting the point. He's missing games or okay. Just one. Oh yeah. Missing games. Cause he did it in 2020. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott isn't really as explosive as he used to be and just tre you know wear and tear is being put on your offensive line so this is a chance this is your opportunity to get it done so it it's more like just the moments that exist in in time uh 
you know, for example, with Donovan McNabb uh, and the Eagles back in the early 2000s. I mean, how many times can you make the NFC championship game and not bust through? And they did in 04. And then you saw what happened after that. Um, then McNabb gets the sports hernia and he's out after uh, losing to the Cowboys 21-20 on November 14th and 05 uh, at the link on Monday Night Football. And then they, they didn't win a division game that season. And you had Mike McMahon starting at quarterback. Uh, and then in 06, McNabb tears his ACL, but Jeff Garcia's there to resurrect things and they win the NFC East and lose in overtime, I think it was, to the New Orleans Saints. And then in 07, they have a dip. And then one last uh, bid uh, for the NFC Championship game. And then after that, they don't see it again until 2017. And they're really just, you know, a team that hangs out in the wild card round and gets bounced out. Um, so you've got your moments and you got it. And this is a moment that's come up and kind of like with the Eagles in 04, that was your moment. You had Terrell Owens. You finally had a receiver instead of, you know, Hank basket to throw to or <laughs> Freddie Mitchell Todd or Pinkston. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you finally have a number one receiver for your franchise quarterback to throw to. And you've got J Javon Kars coming over and providing pass rush on uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Trotter's back uh, at linebacker and you, you, and Brian Dawkins is still there. So it's just this moment in time. And that's really, and then they captured it and they, they did. I mean, they only lost by three points to the, I mean, to the New England Patriots. And that's really where Dallas is at, is they're in the midst of a moment, and you just don't know if you can replicate something like this next year. Because, like I said, of the 27 free agents, who you may keep, who you may let go that affect the um, chemistry in the locker room. What if somebody takes Dan Quinn, now who's going to be defensive coordinator, uh, I don't think Kellen Moore is going anywhere. Uh, so, and it, but let's say he did. And who's calling plays with Dak now? Is it um, Doug Nussmeyer? Does Mike McCarthy now uh, reinsert himself into the play calling role? So it's just, it's more so a moment that you've got to take advantage of and not let it pass because this opportunity won't come again. Yeah, I agree, and that was going to be my next question for you, too, is who do you think is more likely to go, Kellen Moore, Dan Quinn? Um, and obviously, Dan Quinn, I think, has proven, you know, he's kind of had that, that reset for himself where he was able to kind of step back and reassess, you know, his coaching career, and he's done a, a really good job uh, with this Cowboys defense, especially up front, um, to really, like, kind of garner those those head coaching opportunities that I think a lot of us see him getting in this offseason. Yeah, in the beginning, it was Kellen Moore and all of that, but uh, I don't know how you hire Kellen Moore given the, the way the offense has lost its groove. If you're looking to poach the Cowboys coaching staff, I think you got to take Dan Quinn. He's somebody that took the Falcons to the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, they lost 28-3, to 
Um, he's not the same guy in terms of the defense he deploys. He brings a culture factor to your organization. But, I mean, it's got to be the right fit for Dan Quinn, too. If the Houston Texans, for example, called Dan Quinn – or, let's, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, you know, and wanted him – I don't know, man. I don't know that I would go try to be a part of those rebuilds. But if you feel like you're just – Hey, we got this good we got this good quarterback and we're just a coach away. Uh maybe you're a team that does that. Maybe you take a chance with Dan Quinn. Um but I you know, I just don't think that uh I don't think that he should go anywhere where it's just an absolute total rebuild type of situation. If he can find a situation She's fortunate enough to be in with Atlanta and a proven quarterback, then then that might be a smart hire for both sides. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. And, you know, Saturday night, 8-15 on ESPN uh, with their doubleheader they have going on. It's going to be Eagles-Cowboys in a loaded day for Philly sports, by the way, for everybody listening in the Philadelphia area. If you're going to the Eagles game, try to get there early because Philadelphia Wings have a game at the Wells Fargo Center at noon. The Flyers play at 7 o'clock at the Wells Fargo Center, and then the Eagles kick off at 8.15. So it's going to be a loaded day down at the sports complex. But, Mark, how do you see this game kind of unfolding? Do you think it's more so just going to be a battle of, you know, Cooper Rush versus Gardner Minshew and a battle of the backups to just see who comes out on top? How much, you know, playing time do you think Mike McCarthy's going to give to any of these starters for the Cowboys? being that, for the most part, the only real determining factor from this game is the Eagles can walk away with a possible sixth seed uh, for the playoffs rather than the seventh seed, and really the Cowboys are kind of cemented in that four seed. I think Dallas will play their starters as long as the game is interesting. Uh, in other words, if it's about a you know one-score game the whole way, I, I think the starters play the whole time if it starts to get i mean just get out of control um like what comes to mind for me is 20 week 17 of 2007 where dallas goes up they've already got everything locked up and they go up to a rain-soaked fedex field and they try to get marion barber the a thousand yards on the season and they Washington's defense just didn't wasn't giving it to him. Plus, Washington had something to play for in that game because of win and they get in uh, to the playoffs. But it was just, I mean, by halftime, Wade Phillips took out all the starters and they lost twenty-seven to six. Um, another game that comes to mind is actually against the Eagles in Week Seventeen of 2016 where Dallas again had everything all locked up and then they played back Prescott for a series and then Tony Romo comes out for one last Toronto <laughs> a touchdown to Terrence Williams and then Mark Sanchez comes in for the rest of the game and I think they lost it 27 to 10 I was at um, that game yeah you were right and it was by the way that was a fun game it's not a fun, but just notable in that that was the game that Jeff McLean from the Philadelphia Inquirer 
was thrown out of the yep. press box for who knows what reason. Uh, because he was, I guess, reporting on how a, a five and ten team was doing. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why he was thrown out of that game, but he was. I still don't uh, think I'm we sorry. know why Jeff got kicked out of the press box for that game. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I thought that Northeastern media, uh, you could just do what you want. Just... <laughs> You know, the crankier, the better. I thought that's how it worked. But, you know, when you see someone is like Jeff McClain get thrown out, it just really makes you rework the puzzle. But no, but um, the point is, that was a game where Dallas was just resting starters and really didn't care about the outcome. Uh, I think that they do care about the momentum, the good feeling, and that's what they're going to try to recapture. And if it's just not there and it's not going to manifest and probably cost you the health of your team, that they'll pull people. But I think that uh, – uh, all right. I think Dallas, they'll win 27 to 23, and they're going to play their starters the whole way. But Sirianni is going to pull everybody smartly in the third quarter and he's not going to get fired like uh like like peterson did (laughs) yeah uh you know i feel like the last couple of weeks after the eagles beat the giants uh a couple weeks ago everybody's been retweeting all those old giants players tweets from last season and i'm sure the one where uh i think it was Kadarius tony tweeted you know or no it wasn't Kadarius tony it was uh I'm blanking on who it was, but they said, man, why isn't Jalen Hurts out on the field? And I feel like a lot of Philadelphia Eagles fans are going to be retweeting that one this week just in spite of the Giants uh, whenever Gardner Minshew comes into the game. I think a lot of uh, just fun semantics that you and I both like to get into is everybody talking about preseason. You know, are there going to be, you know, three teams from the NFC West that get into the playoffs, uh, which still could happen if, if the 49ers find their way in. Uh, but I also think it's very funny that there's potent- that there is going to be three teams from the old NFC East in the playoffs this year. Top bins, top tier commentary, top drawer, upper ninety. You already down. know. You it's more already no. I think that's how it always goes. We went like 45 minutes and we were at like Chelsea. (laughs) What are we doing? Um, I'm Dominic Ponteri. I am Matt Kessler. And we are here to talk about Champions League soccer today. Ben's time. What's up? We're back. Three team. What's 
because the Arizona Cardinals for that short stint. Oh, okay. No, no, you're right. Yeah. You said the old NFC East, and that's what threw me off was I'd actually – see, in my mind, the Arizona Cardinals just never were a part of the NFC East. It was very weird. Does that make sense? Because in my lifetime, here's this team in Phoenix. I mean, it's weird enough to have Dallas – in this country, you know, in this division called the East. Okay. But you know, they win and they wear blue like the giants do. So, okay. I get it maybe, but then you have the Arizona Cardinals and they're in the East and they're further West than Dallas. I just, it's just never really processed. And then they never won the division in my lifetime. Uh, you got to go back to 75, yep, 75 when they last won the division um and they were st louis jim, yeah and it was with jim hart and dan deardorff and conrad dobler um but that you know so that's why it just doesn't you know really i i forget that they were in the nfc East, as a matter of fact um but yeah you could yeah you could you could have them but to me it's just it's this is the nfc east the Cowboys, the Giants, Washington, and Philadelphia. And by the way, they were all in the same division in the NFL's Capital Division back in 1969, which was the last time that Dallas, I mean, one of the times Dallas swept the division. The other time was in 98, which incidentally, they lost to the Arizona Cardinals. But um, <laughs> that I think this would be the first time since 04, if Dallas wins, first time since 04 that they will sweep the division. Last team to do that in the East was the Philadelphia Eagles, who went 13-3 and that year, 6-0 and against everybody else. Yeah, it is, the NFC East... As weird and wonky as it is, it is consistent because year in and year out, things change, and that's the consistency of the NFC East. And, Mark, I've asked everybody on the show uh, just a fun question. I think with this Week 18 game kind of being, you know, very meaningless for the most part going into the playoffs, the Cowboys obviously winning the NFC East this year. Will the trend continue in 2022 where we have a new division winner in the NFC East? Yes. And I think it'll be the Eagles. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I think that Dallas is going to take on water. Uh, I think that they may be a wild card team, but I think they're going to take on water, try to find themselves, maybe hurt their record a little bit, get things together. And you got the seventh seed now. So I think they'll get in as that, but I think the Eagles will, they'll be the NFC East champion next year. And then, uh, obviously, we started the show with our tangent about how ridiculous the Washington football team is. Uh, what's your prediction for the the new name that we won't be calling them the Washington football team next year? Well, what's funny is it comes out, I think, on February 2nd, 2022, right? Yes. Okay. So, that's two, two. I mean, that's like four twos in a row. I know that the poison control hotline in Texas is one eight hundred two 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 two. So it's so it's whatever it is, it's going to be toxic. And so I think that <laughs> I think that that's appropriate. It comes out on the same date as the poison control hotline in Texas. 
Yeah, I mean, with how many mishaps that stadium has had this year with two raw sewage leaks, one of them on fans in a section of seating, uh, you had the team doctor leaving scissors out on the field when they were taping up twice. Taylor Heineke's ankle. Twice. 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 And then you have the uh, the the guardrail barrier collapsing, almost you know having live humans fall on Jalen Hurts as he walks into the tunnel, and then the the outcome of that is oh let's zip tie it together, uh, as you put it, all hail the zip ties. Yeah, and and that's why honestly it was good of Jalen Hurts to put out on Twitter his message to the Washington football team rather than email it. That hasn't worked out for some people. (laughs) Absolutely. That is fantastic. And uh, we'll see how toxic that name is because that organization just continues to be as toxic as possible, uh, no matter what they do. Yeah. And I'd be remiss. I I don't mean to hijack the podcast here, but, um, you know, I I think we got to say something about John Madden because he was the voice I mean, down here in Dallas and everything. Oh, the Cowboy. I had my, you know, career narrated by John Madden. Okay, we are. But really, he was the voice of the NFC East because there were so many pivotal games between New York and Dallas and New York and Philadelphia and Washington. Their last Super Bowl that they won was Super Bowl Twenty Six on CBS with Pat Summerall and John Madden doing the color commentary. So that's what I mean. And you look at the Eagles and their success they had on Fox, uh, John Madden and Pat Summerall. They were the play-by-play team for Andy Reid's first career win. So these guys were the voice of the NFC East. And uh, so from, you know, to lose John Madden, um, I, I, he always knew how to go out. He went out on top with the Raiders. He went out on top after Super Bowl uh, 43, uh, that great matchup between Pittsburgh and Arizona. He went out on top with that documentary. He's on everybody's mind, and we just everybody was thinking so much of him and and all the great memories from being a part of the NFL and you know, it was just, it was a great way to go. And uh, with certain, he actually hadn't broadcast in 13 years. So in my opinion, that a little bit of the sting of him passing has been taken off from that fact. He's not really been in the public consciousness. I mean, you know, the public eye as much since then, but nevertheless uh, his passing just, underscores how influential he was to the NFL and everything, but also to the NFC East. Yeah, and obviously he didn't play professionally, but also let's not forget he was drafted in the 21st round by the Philadelphia Eagles in 1958. There we go. (laughs) John Madden forever uh, connected to the NFC East. Uh, Mark, it's always a pleasure, my friend, and if – you know, somehow, some way, the Eagles and Cowboys meet in the playoffs. I'm sure we'll be talking again this season. But to let uh, everybody yeah. know where uh... I don't, know. I don't know. I'll have to come up with new material by then. <laughs> I, I'm kind of hoping against it. It's gonna be wild. This uh, this NFC playoff bracket 
no matter who gets in with that seven seed or who ends up being the six seed, but let everybody know where they can check out all your stuff and where to follow you on social media. Yeah, WFAA.com slash Cowboys. I submitted my Cowboys 100 yesterday, so that'll be coming out, and I've got a bunch of cool facts about the matchup. I've got a breakdown, by the way, of Ron Torbert, the referee for the game. Not that I think it's you know going to matter, but if uh, you, know, you want to check that out. Um, also, for things, Houston Texans uh, – we got texanswire.usatoday.com. And then just for general musings, I forgot to post last night at two in the morning. Uh, imagine Pat Summerall reading a Cracker Barrel menu. Um, but stuff <laughs> like that, that's it. The real Mark Lane on Twitter. I don't know. I was just thinking about it. And I was just thinking, how he'd, you know, he'd say, how he'd say, well, biscuits with a side of gravy, milk. And the little grandkids playing the peg game on the table, waiting for, you know, the pumpkin pie. That so. is phenomenal. <laughs> but I did. I was just thinking about Pat Summerall reading the Cracker Barrel menu. That's fantastic, Mark. It's always a pleasure. Everybody, Lois Lane's favorite nephew, Mark Lane. And uh, I'll be talking to you soon, buddy. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Leave the latch string out for me. Bye. Thank you guys for listening and checking out Eagles Enemies. The support for this show is the reason it sticks around year after year. Make sure you guys are following us on social media at UndergroundPHI on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. Make sure you check out our website, UndergroundSportsPhiladelphia.com, for all of our written content. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast, be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe subscribe, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating and review to let us know how you're feeling about each and every Eagles matchup throughout the season. We hope you guys enjoy season four of Eagles Enemies presented by Underground Sports Philadelphia, and we'll catch you on the gridiron next week. Go Birds! Go Birds!